0: Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the Will, turn with me in your Bibles quickly. I'm to just give you a few things briefly. I um, only have just a few minutes here, but I want to share just a few things with you uh, as we move on in our series on the altar. Uh, Revelations 3, 19 through 22 is our text for that. And um, let me read that to you. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten; and therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice... And opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to set with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Verse 22 says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The altar is about this moments where we not only hear what God is saying, but it's about where that becomes a part of who we are. It becomes a part of our DNA. It becomes, uh, you know, we've talked a a lot in this, and I've mentioned this several times, but, you know, we come to church a lot of times and the only thing we get is information. What we want is information that moves into transformation. And it's the altar that puts uh, the Word in us. The preaching gets the Word to us, but it's the altar that drives it down deep into our hearts. And it's what really transforms us from the inside out and makes it become a part of our of who we are. When the preacher says, you know, and when I pray and I say, God, impart the word to them, let it become a part of who they are, I'm praying for that experience that drives it deep in us and actually produces something in us. And so that's what we want. We all desire that. Last week I concluded the message, uh, Encountering the Altar, and I talked to you about a few things. And the, one of those was that when we encounter the altar, God's power is easily recognizable in us. Look, the world needs some people that's got the power of God working in them. Your people at your workplace, the people that you come in contact with uh, in life, they need to see something different in you. Uh, they need to see something different in me. They need, to, they need to see the power of God actually at work and producing something. Uh, the second thing that we talked about last week is that uh, not only when, when I encounter the altar does the power of God become recognizable, but it means that I get to live on new experiences and not just old ones. I don't want to just live on the same old experiences that I've had in the past, but I want some new experiences with God. And the altar is the place of new encounters and new experiences. And the third thing that I shared with you is that it grants you the power to convict and correct a culture of sin. I don't think anybody would debate that we live in a culture of sin And if there's not the power of God resonating in us and and bringing some light into the darkness, then we're going to have difficulty bringing people to Jesus Christ. And that we want that working in us. We want sinners to wonder why they are suddenly aware of their sin in our presence. We want uh, sinners not to feel condemned because that's not what we do. We bring the love of Jesus. But we want them to question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is there not a better way? Is there something that I'm missing in my life? And that's what the Christian ought to carry with them. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's look, uh, let's look here in 1 Kings 18 and 19. We're going to pick it up there. Uh, there's been no rain in the land for three years. We know this. There is a severe drought in Samaria. Ahab, who is the king, has, uh, has been on the hunt for this man, Elijah. Elijah comes and he says to the people of Israel, because you're not serving the Lord, because you're not following God, there's not going to be any rain. And for three years, that's been the case. He said it, and now uh, that's been the, been the case. That's been what's happened. And so Ahab's not happy. He's looking for Elijah. And suddenly now, after three years, Elijah has shown up because the word of the Lord came to him, and he has been sent by God, and he's about to have a showdown with the prophets of Baal. Let's talk about Baal for just a minute because I think you need to understand a few things about him. For one, uh, Baal does not represent one god. It represents a multitude of gods. It represents a bunch of different deities. Uh, when you talk about the prophets of Baal, they may have been worshiping different kinds of Baal gods. But this particular one who Elijah is dealing with at this moment, the one that is really kind of dominating the scene here uh, at, the, at this uh, showdown, is uh, the, god, uh, the Baal god of rain. He was the one that they considered to be the one that sent the rain. This is the very reason why Elijah says there's not going to be any rain. You think your God's God? You think your God's the God of rain? Let's see. There's not going to be any rain. You can pray, you can begging, you can do whatever you want to, but I'm telling you, we'll see who the real God is in this situation. Amen. And so that's what he's done. So what we have here is, is this Baal, this God of rain. There hasn't been any rain, and now Elijah has come on the scene for a showdown. So help me pre- uh, pray as I preach this, uh, this message, establishing the altar. Father, we thank you today, God, for all that you've done. We thank you for what you are imparting to us right now, what you are implanting in our spirits right now. And God, I'm asking that it produce something in each and every one of our lives, including myself, Father. I'm asking these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First Kings 18, 19 says, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to, mount, to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. What he's saying here is, look, you've been serving this God who is the God of rain. And if he's God, then just go ahead and keep following him. But if he's not God... If He can't fix your life, and if He can't fix your situation, if He can't change your circumstance, then you might want to consider changing directions and not faltering between two opinions, commit to the Lord, the real God, or commit to following in your sin. There comes a point with every Christian, every person, every single one of us when we have to make a decision whether or not we're going to follow the Lord and we're going to commit to His path or we're going to do our own thing. How long will we falter between two opinions? I think it's one of the most powerful sentences in, in the Bible because it brings us to a confrontation with the reality that we must deal with, and that is, are we going to serve the Lord or not? And so here's my point number one is this. Uh, Elijah, he's establishing here the altar. He's saying, look, there's going to be a showdown. We're going to, we're going to put to rest now, once and for all, who's God? Who's God? Point number one is this, establishing the altar must happen even amidst a rebellion against it. Establishing the altar must happen even amidst a rebellion against it. For the last several years now, what we've had here in our text is that Jezebel and Ahab have been engaged in a full-on assault against the altar of the Lord. They've been working diligently to tear it down and destroy it for good. And they've done a pretty good job so far of doing that. Matter of fact, you'll read later in the text. I think it's in our uh, passage that I'm going to share with you. Elijah says, "I'm the only one left." So they've done a pretty good job of destroying the whole system and tearing down the altar of God. This other God, Asherah, who is mentioned in our text that we just read, is another God altogether. She's one that, uh, that Jezebel is also supporting and, and establishing a priesthood with. And so there's a multitude of gods that they're serving, but they are rejecting the one true God. And so this altar has been destroyed. They've done this, and the people have watched it happen in the process. Now, what we have here is there's 450 prophets of Baal, another 400 prophets of Asherah, 850 false prophets to only one prophet of God. But you might say, you know, we've read in the past, wait, Pastor, there's, there's, there's another 100 here. There's a 100 there's a that are hid in a cave by Obadiah. You remember that story? He hid 50 in two different caves? That's true. There are those 100 But here's what I say to that. If you're supposed to be a prophet of God and you're spending your time hiding in a cave instead of dealing with the devastation around you, you might as well be on the side of the enemy because you're certainly not fighting for God. Amen? We don't need more preachers. I'll just preach to preachers here, and there's none in the building, so I'm just preaching to myself. We don't need any more preachers to cow down to culture, to whims of society, and even to the religious system of the day, we need some people that will stand up for what's right and say, this is what it's going to be. This is what the Lord says, and this is what we're going to do as a people. Amen? The Bible talks about in the last days there being false teachers who gather around them, people, and they just, they just preach whatever the people want to hear. They preach whatever is culturally acceptable. They, they preach whatever is, is current. They preach whatever is, is, uh, is, is happy to the ears. But we need some people that will tell us the truth from time to time. We need some people that will confront darkness and deal with the situations that people are facing in their lives. That people will establish the altar and not allow it to be torn down in their churches and in their communities. So what we have happening here in our text is we have the altar of the Lord has been torn down and established priesthood. The established priesthood is really doing nothing and the people are also doing nothing in the process. What's the correlation for us? It's this, that throughout history, throughout history the enemy has always attacked the altar. Throughout history the enemy has always sought to destroy the altar. He's done it throughout periods in, in the Israel, Israel's history. If you read it, they'll, they'll tear down the altar of God. They'll establish altars on the high places. And then along will come someone who is a person of God that will say, no, this is not right. And we, they tear down those altars of the enemy and they reestablish the altar of God. And this cycle repeats over and over and over again. But the enemy has always been on the attack for the altar of God. Why is it? Because it's the altar that lives are changed. It's in the altar that chains are broken. It's in the altar that lives are set on the right course. It's in the altar that we have an encounter with the master, the master and we become under, to understand who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. It's the altar that those things happen. In Daniel, we know the story of Daniel. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. Why? Because the personal altar is being attacked. He's praying in his own home. He's doing his own thing for God. And he gets these people that are against him and they attack the personal altar of God. The personal altar is attacked in your life. How is it attacked today? You may not have anybody calling the police on you at this point. I actually read a story the other day where a man was having a Bible study in his house and he got arrested by the police because he wasn't supposed to be having a Bible study in his house in that particular neighborhood. You may not get the police called on you, but you're attacked in other ways. You're attacked through busyness, You're attacked through distractions. You're attacked through a number of different avenues. And many of us struggle to put the personal altar into our lives. And I'm telling you, you can't be an overcoming, effective Christian if you don't establish the personal altar daily in your life. The altar requires a daily time of sacrifice to be successful and powerful and to accomplish the work that God wants it to do. The enemy's attacked there. He's also attacked... uh, We we could read scripture after scripture, and story after story. This particular case here when we're talking about Elijah, this is the corporate altar is being attacked. The altar of the Lord is being dismantled and the altar of Baal and other gods is being established. In the midst of a rebellion against the altar and the God it represents, we must establish and maintain the altar of God. It is the church's responsibility to keep the altar in place. It is the church's obligation and responsibility to keep the fire burning on the altar. Amen? It is the church's responsibility to make sure that it is maintained in the community, in our personal lives, and also in the church of the living God. The priests of our day, I feel like in many cases, and this is not the case for all because I believe in pastors, I believe in the church, but many of the priests of our day either want to hide or compromise with the enemy. And I just think we're at a place where we can't do that anymore. I think we're at a place where we have to take a stand against what the enemy is trying to do. We have to take a stand for our country. We have to take a stand for our families and our communities. And we have to stand up for what we believe to be the truth. Be careful. Listen, church. I want you to be careful to guard the truth of God's word and keep it a part of who you are. You have to guard the truth of God's word in your life. Through the personal altar, you are establishing what God says to be true in your life daily. Through the corporate altar, you are establishing what God says to be true in your life as a body of believers. And we have to guard against that. How do I know what the truth is? Because I read it, I study it, and then I experience it through Jesus Christ. And once I have that experience, it's solid in my mind. Somebody might be able to convince me of truth that I've come to understand in my mind of a different truth. But when I have experienced it at work in my life, when I know it to be true, there's nothing you can say to change my mind about it. And we don't have the truth of God solidified in our lives like we need it because we lack the experiences that I need to accompany it. Amen. Elijah here steps on the scene and says, in the midst of this devastation and the rejection of God that's going on, he says, I'm going to reestablish the altar in Israel. One man can make a difference, somebody. One person filled with the fire of God, one person committed to the purpose of God can make a difference. And so I'm asking that we as a church help to reestablish the altar in our communities, help to reestablish the altar in our personal lives and in our churches. 1 Kings 18, then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left of the, as a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore let them give us two bulls. Let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, that sounds good to us. Point number two is this. Establishing the altar demands a showdown between light and darkness. Establishing the altar demands a showdown between light and darkness. I've said this before, but I believe it to be true. The church cannot sit hidden, hiding itself under a bushel, and not invading the darkness of the community. If the church is to be the agent of change that God has designated it to be, then it must have a showdown between light and darkness from time to time. There must be these moments when we confront the things that go on around us and not give in to them. Darkness doesn't give us up its position without a fight. And hiding in caves isn't going to get that done. you got a hundred prophets, well-trained prophets. They know the Word of God. They know what God says. They've probably seen God's demonstration in their lives in multitudes of times. But here they are hiding in caves. Darkness has to be dealt with. We cannot leave it alone and hope it'll leave us alone because the enemy's not giving up anything and he is out for taking and destroying your life as much as he possibly can. And sometimes you just have to call for a showdown. Look, if my kids are under the attack of the enemy, then I'm calling for a showdown. No, he ain't doing this to my family. We're praying we're pleading the blood. We're standing against the enemy. And we're going to do that until darkness breaks off of their lives, until they begin to see. This world is veiled and they can't see God. It's up to us as the church to pull the veil off and show them what Jesus Christ is all about. I have no doubt that once they see Him and understand Him and come to know Him, they can't help but accept Him. Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, You think your God is powerful? Let's see. He sets the stage for the showdown and he trusts that his God will show up. Do you trust that your God will show up? Do you trust that in the midst of dealing with situations that plague your life, or maybe not even your life, but people's lives you love, that your God will show up if you'll step out for Him and believe If you'll stand up and say, no, it's not going to happen to my kids. No, I'm not putting up with this in my workplace. No, I'm not going to deal with this anymore in my community. It's going to stop right here. Will God show up? Because I believe that He will. I believe He's waiting for a church that will say enough is enough. When is the last time that we challenged the enemy and said, God, I trust that when I step out here and invade the territory that you're giving me, that you will show up in the midst of this and help me to accomplish that. As a church, we have to be willing to step out there and put ourselves on the front lines of advancing the church. Pastor, I don't want to challenge the enemy. We just need to leave him alone. I understand that. But here's what that mentality speaks of. It speaks of an inept, impotent, fearful, and ineffectual church. And that's not the church I read about that God teaches us about When he says, I give you the keys to the kingdom and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That doesn't speak about a powerless church to me. That speaks about an invading darkness kind of church that will not let anything or anyone stop them from taking over and advancing the church and the kingdom of God. The world needs a confronting church. It needs an invading church. It needs a militant church. It needs a church that believes in the miracle working power of a limitless God. The attack is on the altar and it is evident. So the attack on the enemy must be incumbent upon us. Let me make this applicable personally to you. Every week there's a showdown that takes place in your life. Every single week. It's a showdown between darkness and light. A showdown between your flesh and your spirit. It's a showdown between his will and your will. And every week we are confronted with the opportunity to embrace a new dimension of light or to allow a new dimension of darkness to take hold of our lives. It's in these moments that we preach, we worship, we set the stage, we preach to plant some seed, but it's in the altar that those things are cultivated and drawn from us. It's in the altar that we make a decision. Do I want to advance with my God? Do I want to embrace the light that He's trying to bring into my life? Or do I want to remain the same and allow darkness to continue to hold this piece of me? You're saying, Pastor, I'm saved. I'm living for God. I know that. But I'm telling us that everybody in here, myself included, that we all have areas that we have to grow in. New areas that God's light wants to shine on. And it's through that growth and that determination to allow Him to continually permeate ourselves with light that we develop and transform into His image and become more like Him. And so every week that showdown takes place. Every week I set the stage when I give an altar call. And every week that God deals with you through the message, you decide what your response will be. What are you giving place to each week? Light or darkness? What are you feeding your soul each week? Are you feeding it with light or are you feeding it with darkness? Because we have got to move with God and continue advancing toward Him. We are committed to establishing the altar in this church. And a showdown between light and darkness is expected regularly. You can expect that to maintain the altar. I want the altar to be a transforming place. 1 Kings 18.25 Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first for you are many and call on the name of your God but put no fire in it. So they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it and called the name of Baal from morning evening evening till noon saying O Baal hear us but there was no voice no one answered then they leaped about the altar which they had made and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said cry aloud for he is god Either he is meditating or he is busy or he's on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. I don't want to serve a God that needs to be woke up. I don't want to serve a God that needs to be uh, given some quiet time. I don't want to serve a God that's on a journey. I want to serve a God that's ready and able to meet my needs and work in my life presently. And then verse, 29, oh, well, verse 28. So they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until blood gushed out on them. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Point number three is this. Establishing the altar exposes the foolishness of sin and highlights those pursuing God. The established altar always forces a showdown between light and darkness and exposes the foolishness of sin and in so doing clearly highlights those who are following the plan and will of God. It's real easy to see who's growing and who's developing, who's getting closer to the Lord, and those who are not. Right? It's easy to see the difference. When you walk into the altar and when you are encountered with the presence of God, it becomes very clear if you're growing as a Christian or if you're choosing not to. I'm excited about when I look around the church... And when I see people that have come into the church over the course of the last couple of years and three years, I see people growing. I see their lives changing. I see them getting closer to the Lord. And that excites my heart. I'm excited to see what God has done, where they came from and where they are now. And I'm challenging each and every one of you, don't ever quit that process. Don't ever get to the point where you're good enough, that you feel okay enough, that you don't keep pushing yourself into a deeper relationship with the Lord. God sees what He has done in your life clearly. We see what God has done in your life clearly. Everybody around can see the difference that God is making or they can see the difference that God hasn't made in your life. But that's all up to you. God's trying to work. God's trying to move. God's trying to advance you. Whether or not you choose to allow Him is all up to you. Look at these verses in 25 through 28. These guys are screaming to the top of their lungs. They're leaping around. They're hollering. They're they're starting to cut themselves. It just just shows the foolishness of sin. And you know what? When you're in the midst of sin, it's real hard to see how, how dumb the situation is, isn't it? I mean, when you're out there and you're enjoying sin and you're doing all the things of sin and you're right in the middle of that, it's really hard to get perspective. But once you step out of that and you see what God's done in your life and you look back at your life that you used to have, you can say, my goodness, what in the world was I thinking? How ridiculous of me to live like that. Look at all the things that I missed in the process. When we come into the altar, when the altar is established in my personal life, It clearly demonstrates and shows us, exposes the foolishness of sin and it highlights the areas that I'm growing in. I want to know where I can be better and I want to know where I'm doing good. Amen? I want to know where I'm doing good. I like it when God says to me, hey, I'm really proud of you in this particular area and I'm okay with Him saying, hey, this area, not good. We could do better here because that's all part of the process of growth. One of our values here is growing. It's growing. We've got to grow. We cannot stay still. Verse 28 tells us that this was their custom to cut themselves and to uh, do all of these different things. This is what they did on a regular basis. Growing in the Lord requires us not to do what has always been customary to us. This is their custom. This is what they do. This is their life. Do you know that growing in the Lord requires you to do some things that are not necessarily customary to you? That it may require some changes and some behavioral differences to take hold in your life and allow God to do some new things in you. Let's don't get so stuck in a rut that we can't allow God to bring some new things into our lives and allow us to advance with Him. I'm amazed at times of what people are willing to pay to stay where they are And so many times the cost of staying where you are is always greater in the long run over the cost of moving forward. And so don't sacrifice the future and what God's trying to do in your life for what you have currently. Let me ask you uh, here today, those of you who are struggling maybe to let go of what God's asking you for, what are you willing to pay to stay where you are? What will it cost you before you surrender to the Lord? And for those of you who are moving, and those of you who are growing, those of you who are allowing God to work in your life, and you are seeing development, you are seeing changes take place, help somebody else to move. Help somebody else to overcome. If you're currently at a place where you don't necessarily need God's divine intervention to to survive and to live, then find somebody who does need that and you help them. Yeah. This is a brother and sisterhood of believers. Yeah. And so we've got to help one another. And so establishing the altar is not just about me, myself, but it's establishing the altar in others' lives and this church is a corporate body of believers. As I close with this and, and go back to verse 29 it says when midday was passed they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice but there was no voice no one answered no one paid attention without the Lord and without the altar being established in my life I'm not getting the answers I need there is no voice there is no answer I'm telling you yes you'll hear from God in worship yes you'll hear from God in preaching Yes, you'll hear from God if you're receptive to Him in a number of different venues. But there's something different about hearing from the Lord in the altar. I'm just telling you. There's something that takes place in the altar because it's consecrated, it's dedicated, it's set aside as a place to encounter the Lord. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of laying your life down. It's a place where Jesus just shows up and does some miraculous things. And so I'm saying don't forfeit the altar because you may be hearing God in some other areas. Listen, embrace all that He has for you. Embrace every single thing that He has for you. I'm going to ask you to stand. We've had a wonderful altar time this morning, so I'm not going to ask us to come back today. But I just want to, again, just just hit on this, that we as the church of the living God Set the standard. We have to be the standard bearers. We have to be the ones that mark a difference in our communities. People need to see something different in us, church. And I don't doubt for a moment that your people at your job are seeing something different in you. I know that. I know that people are saying, hey, what's up with so-and-so? They are different than they used to be a year ago. Let that take hold in their lives. And when the opportunity comes, you share Jesus with them because it will come. We are a church on the move, amen? There's not a better place you can be than right here, right now because this church is going to do something for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for every single person, Lord. God, I'm thankful for the growth that we see in lives. I'm thankful for what you're doing in this church and in, the, in this altar, Lord. God, I pray that, Lord, we would never take the altar for granted, but, Lord, we would always reverence it and value it as a tool for your kingdom advancement. Lord, move in each and every life. Touch every heart, God. I pray that, Lord, continually as we come to these showdowns, Lord, where light and darkness collide, that we always choose light, knowing that you are the Father of lights. And from you, Father, every good and perfect gift flows. There's no shadow of turning. There is no variance in you. But, Lord, there is perfect, pure, just everything that we desire, Lord, is found in you. We love you today, God. I ask your blessing upon each and every person in this place. That, Lord, they would have a blessed week and find the presence of God working in their lives. In Jesus' name. We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We would love for you to join us at the river on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Sunday school and at 10.30 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you would like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street in Burke Burnett, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river. Till I found myself face down on your shoulder. Say it come to the hey.